Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 17 through 36. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? Well, they will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Then when seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up a whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune with the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. So if you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we are making our way through Acts. We've spent uh, about a year uh, studying the book of Acts, and we are uh, in chapter 21. And um, when we teach like this, or when you find a church that teaches like this, sometimes you'll run into passages like this. And and let me explain why this is a little bit more difficult for us. Uh, Luke's narrative has been pretty fast-paced in in. The, the book of Acts. Quick pace. We've moved by months or years. And all of a sudden here in Acts 21, he slows us down. 
Like moment by moment, he's kind of giving us this, this play by play. And it's true, it's, it's true to form of the gospels, even like at the end of Jesus's life, things slow down uh, really quickly. But here we find it slowing down again. And so we find ourselves in this narrative uh, that, that uh, in preaching or teaching through uh, can kind of seem slow. All right. This is one of those Sundays maybe where it's like you, you go out with a friend, and you're like, so what'd you talk about at church today? And you're like, ah, you know, I don't. Uh, the worship was good today, you know? It's like, I don't know, Paul was arrested. Like, what, what's, well, you know, they're not like these seven takeaways of strength or anything like that. It's this narrative that we find Luke laying out, but the Spirit very purposefully laying out and kind of pushing the brakes and pumping the brakes on the typical speed of Acts. And so I want us to be faithful to walk through this, uh, this section, and I'm going to break it down into three parts. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, leave it uh, on your lap open, and we'll go through those three parts. But did you sense as Teresa was reading the scriptures this morning, um, kind of the dichotomy, right? The tension. Look at it if you have your Bible. Verse 17, the very first verse she read, when we had come to Jerusalem, right? So, so Paul's finally at Jerusalem. The brothers received us gladly. Received us gladly. Now go to the last verse that she read in verse 36. The very last phrase, right? They received us gladly. An angry mob, verse 36, yelling, Away with him. You sense the tension? Gladly received as he got there. But where we ended and where Teresa ended the scripture reading was where an angry mob is yelling, away with him. Very interesting. But the reality is for us, that is where we live most of our lives. That's the reality of where we find ourselves most of the time in this tension, true? Right? Even, even something as silly as like, this week, looking out at the beauty of the snow, right? How beautiful it was, how picturesque it was. And looking over at your thermostat in your house, right? And going, it's 31 degrees in here. What is going on? You know, and that's a tangible one, but, but what about the internal struggles and the tension, the spiritual things in your life and in my life, right? That we echo Paul where he says things like, I constantly am finding myself doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I should do. Like this, this, this tension that we live in, right? This, this biblical tension that Christ has come and he is redeeming all things, but yet it's not fully redeemed yet, right? The already, not yet. So even in Acts 21, in this part, there is this tension, there's this dichotomy, and we're gonna walk through this tension. And so let's look at this, this first part as Paul arrives in Jerusalem, and the first people he uh, meets with are James. So James, this is the half-brother of Jesus, and he is most likely the leader of the church here in Jerusalem. And what is the first thing they do together? I love it, and we shouldn't gloss over this, right? Just to get to the riots and the, and, and the other parts. What is the first thing that they do? Look at it, verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present, so the leaders of the church. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So the very first thing that Paul does when he gets to Jerusalem, as he gets with the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, is that he celebrates. He celebrates God's movement. He celebrates that God is moving and saving among the Gentiles. He's now back in Jerusalem going, listen, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? That says that's Jesus going, listen, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to what? The ends of the earth. Paul's going, look. 
They're doing it. Like God is moving in power to the ends of the earth. And now he's back in Jerusalem. And it's so cool that he is celebrating these wins with these elders and with James, the leader of this church. And and, and so listen, as people of God, we are told constantly in the scriptures to celebrate and to remember the faithfulness of God. Psalm 103, it says this, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits, right? All his blessings, all the things that he's doing, all of his movement here at the Parks Church, we call this celebrating the signs of the kingdom, right? What Paul is doing here before these elders in Jerusalem is he's celebrating the signs of the kingdom. He's going, this is how the kingdom of God is breaking forth in this broken world. You can be sure that God's mission is being accomplished. Notice Paul is not celebrating himself. He's not celebrating his ministry or his missionary work, right? What's he celebrating? God's movement. He wants to be sure that you understand that the active agent in all things is God. That it's God who should be getting all of the glory. Now, as Christians, I know we don't struggle with this. But, how many of you sometimes struggle to celebrate good things in other people's lives? Alright, we do struggle with this as Christians. How many of you as a Christian... You struggle with seeing God's movement, God's grace and his mercy, his power moving in other people's lives. Okay, churches, let's just say as a church, churches are known for being like competitive, territorial, right? Easily offended. Like this is, this is a tension in us. Like, yeah, we look at this, we go, yeah, of course, James and Paul, they'd be celebrating the Gentiles being saved. But how about in your life and my life? Right, where, where somebody's explaining what God's doing or how he's saving it. And I'm like, yeah, that is awesome. But God, why not? Why not with the requests and petitions I've made? Maybe you hear something you're like, yeah, that's good. I attend church every Sunday and you're every other week. What's going on here, you know? Listen, may we be a people and may we be a church that is not competitive in the work of God, meaning with one another, but that we are celebratory with one another, with those who are seeing the kingdom break forth. May we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Listen, we are not in competition with other like-minded Christians or other churches. We're on the same team, longing to see the kingdom of God break forth. That is the attitude we see here from Paul with the Gentiles and James in the Jewish church celebrating God's movement. Bible over and over says, celebrate, celebrate, rejoice, rejoice amongst yourself. And then also weep with those who weep. Bear one another's burdens. Carry the weight as as, as someone else is carrying the weight alongside you, right? I think about Hope Women's Center, right? The Aaron Holly lead. This past week, right? Going into the Crisis Pregnancy Center and finding it standing with, with two and a half feet of water, a total loss a total loss, right? Like what should our response be? Listen, we're weeping with you. That devastation, that loss, we're walking with you beside you. We're we're for you, right? Like that's the joy. Also, the joy, the celebration, right? When somebody's celebrating a birth of a new child, when somebody's celebrating, hey, a child coming to faith or baptisms, we celebrate in joy. That's the picture we see here as Paul enters Jerusalem, And then we see second part. 
Look at verse 20, the end of it. And so they heard it, and they glorified God, and they said to them, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who are also believed. So now it's not just the Gentiles they're celebrating, but also Jewish believers coming to faith. Thousands, James is saying. Thousands are coming to faith. And so they rejoice. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to forsake, their, or to not circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Hold on, time out. Like this celebration just turned, didn't it? Like we went from cheering, going, listen, the Lord is saving, he's moving, he's saving the Gentiles, he's saving the Jews, to now going, but Paul, you have a reputation. You see, you, you haven't entered Jerusalem unaccompanied. You see, your reputation precedes your arrival, and that reputation is this, that you are telling particularly Jewish Christians who live in Gentile communities to abandon their heritage. Things like giving up the practice of circumcision or the way of Moses. And James goes, okay, I know that that's not true. I know that that reputation for you, Paul, is not true. I know it's not true because of Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, where James was there and Paul was there, and they agreed upon what salvation was. That a Gentile did not need to become a Jew to be saved, and that Jews were not giving up their ways or their customs. You see, James' concern wasn't about salvation. He wasn't concerned with Paul's teachings. He knew that Paul was teaching faithfully the Gentiles the gospel. James' concern wasn't Paul's view of the moral law, all right? He knew that Paul viewed the pursuit of holiness for those who are in Christ as a way that we obey God, is to follow his ways. The concern with James, the concern that is surfacing here in this passage is this. It has to do with Jewish cultural practices. Should Jewish Christians cease from following certain cultural practices? traditions. Word had spread that Paul was teaching something opposite of that. You see, what has happened here in Jerusalem is what happens when people begin to talk and spread gossip. The truth is distorted. Paul is smeared. He's misrepresented. And so James has an idea or a plan. And this is what I call a gospel-centered or driven plan. It says, they will certainly hear that you have come. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. And after that verse, James lays out his plan, what he believes Paul should do, essentially to refute these false rumors, to essentially make, set the record straight in what Paul actually believes. And so Paul does what James says. He takes the vow. He, in fact, buys the offering for these four guys at the temple. He is doing this not in a way to compromise the gospel, not in a way to water down what Paul actually believes, but he is doing this in a way that is surrendering his rights and his preferences before these Jewish believers to say that the gospel is supreme. The gospel is above all else. Because some of you, you look here and you go, wait a minute. This plan by James that he kind of lays out that Paul needs to do this and do that and and do this. Isn't that watering down the gospel? Isn't that compromising the gospel integrity that 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 says we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? Isn't this watering that down? 
You see, Paul would have never participated in this. That would probably preach far better than me anyway, so let's let it go. Paul, there we go. Paul in no way would have ever participated in this plan if he would have believed that it would have compromised the gospel. But I want you to look at this in, in one of Paul's other letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and this will be 22 and 23. Listen to what Paul says. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that all, all means I might save some. Paul's not saying he saves, that God saves. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Leave that up there. How many of you have heard that verse ripped out of context about 150 times, right? Raise your hand because you've probably ripped it out of context 100 times, okay? What Paul is demonstrating here in Acts 21 is 1 Corinthians 9. He's going, listen, I am becoming all things to all people. So for the Jews, I become a Jew. You say, wait, no, 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 no. 9 verse 20. Look at this. To the Jews, I became a Jew. See, gotcha. In order to win Jews. So he's saying, listen, I am going forward with the plan that James lays out because I want the Jews to see and to know the gospel and I don't want anything to be a stumbling block for them. So I will do this vow. I will participate with this. I will buy the offering. I will do all the things, James, that you tell me to do so that others might see Jesus clearly. He's not compromising the gospel. He's not participating in sin because that's how that verse gets twisted. I just become all things to all people. That is not a license to sin. That is not a license to water down the gospel. That is not a license to compromise the gospel. That is not a license to compromise the truth of God's word. It's going, no, listen, what is supreme is the gospel. And every other thing, like a cultural practice here that Paul is participating in, is, is ah, it's open-handed. And so I'll participate in it. I'll do it. I'll move forward in this plan. You see, this passage, in particular this area right here, reveals the true heart of Paul. Paul is passionate about God's glory, the unity in the church, and the evangelization of all people in all nations above all else. Literally, he's willing to sacrifice his reputation for the sake of the gospel. And if this plan doesn't compromise the gospel, Paul goes, I'm game. I'm all for it. And so let me just make a, a practical note here. Never compromise the integrity of the gospel. Never participate in sin when you are attempting to reach people or love people. Never twist or manipulate scriptures like that to fit your preference or to cater to your weak faith. And don't ever convey the impression that everyone first must be like you before they can take the invitation to receive Christ seriously. You see, what Paul was facing was a similar argument to what we still face today. Are you like us or not? Do you do the things that we do? Do you sing the songs that we sing in the, the way that we sing them? If you're not, then you must be against us. You see, John Stott, a great writer on the book of Acts, he says that the solution to which they came was not a compromise in the sense of sacrificing any doctrinal or moral principle, but a concession in the area of practice, what we would call open 
handed things. And Paul says, I'll go there. I'll do this. Paul offers to us this morning a picture of Christian liberty in this passage, showing us his true spiritual maturity. Listen, Paul could have looked at James and said, James, I don't need to do that. I don't need to take the vow. I don't need to go through those things. I I, I don't need to do any of that, right? Let the people who are going to say things against me, let them say things against me. I'm not going to do that. I'm saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, and I'm secure and I'm set. But that wasn't Paul's attitude, was it? He didn't assert his liberty and his Christian freedom. He said, no, I want to be faithful. I want to bring unity. I want to bring healing so that Christ might be seen clearly, and I want nothing to distract from it. You see, um, one of the things that I think we, we really wrestle with um, as evangelicals here in the South particularly is that we elevate truth so highly, and we should in its right place, but yet it's at the expense of love and compassion to those around us. Here's what the truth is. Here's the truth. Here's what the word of God says. Here's what it is. And love and compassion go by the wayside. And sure, there are um, fancy things attached to it, right? These, these, these fancy warnings like, oh, you don't want to go down the, the, the slippery slope of, of a social justice movement and da 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 And I'm like, you're killing me. Because here's what the true gospel does. Here's what a true gospel impulse does. That it excels and calls us to love to compassion, to reconciliation, not away from it. You hear me? That when we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we are centered on it, like Paul, I'm convinced, was centered on it. He says, listen, I can take the vow. I can go into those places. I can go with those guys into the temple and not be scared, not be worried that I'm going to be accused of something, but do it for the glory of God so that he might be seen clearly, so that the gospel might be known and there would be no hindrance and no roadblock to it. That's what we long to see. That's what we long to be known by. That the gospel calls us to love in compassion, not away from it. So that's this one side. And we see Paul in humility and in love and grace walk this plan out. But what happens? What's this third section, right? It starts in your Bible in verse 27. It says, Paul arrested in the temple. He he walked James' plan out to a T. He did everything James asked of him. Right, not in pride, not puffed up in ego, but in humility. And what occurred? It says in verse 27 that the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd. And if I could put one word over this whole section it would be the word at the end of verse 31. Confusion. It says that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. The whole city. I mean, I'm even looking at this passage and I'm confused, right? They're celebrating God's hand at work. They're celebrating salvation. Paul is faithfully walking in humility, this this graciousness to to go through this plan that, that, that James lays out. And then he's met with violence and lies. 
This section is full of lie after lie after lie. From Trophimus, right? This Ephesian Gentile who they're accusing that Paul took into the temple with him. He didn't take him into the temple. They're accusing Paul of not holding to Jewish customs. To telling believing Jews not to circumcise their children. Lies. Lies. Listen, confusion is the enemy's work. It's what he loves to do. If he can get people talking, if he can get people gossiping, if he can get people saying this, saying this, or hey, I, I, I suppose that he took Trophimus because I saw him on the street with Trophimus. Therefore, I bet Trophimus went in the tent. It was a lie. And confusion spread through the city. See, that's what the enemy does. Is he longs to distract and divide even in the church by bringing confusion. You see, this ugly scene makes us wonder whether James' plan may be backfired. Wait a minute. The plan of James was to refute that Paul actually said those things or believed those things. You see, while on the immediate surface, the outcome of his actions, of Paul's actions, look like a failure. But we have to take a longer view. You see, Paul's actions here by going forward with James' plan, yes, in this scene, they end with him being carried away by soldiers to a prison. Paul's actions would eventually put the suspicions of many Jewish Christians to rest. Furthermore, this event would be one link in the chain of God's sovereign events that would deliver Paul also to Rome. Do you see how God is moving in spite of the initial outcome of what occurred? Paul being drug away, these lies leading to his, his arrest. I want to talk to you about something here. This idea of outcomes. Outcomes. How many of you really dwell a lot on outcomes? You see, one of the things that concerns... Like, one of the main drive shafts, and this is a sinful drive shaft of my heart, is the fear of the unknown. Anybody else? Like, I, I want to know what's next. I want to know that if I follow A, B, it equals C. But some of you have lived life long enough that you know A plus B equals D, right? And you're like, where's C? Why wasn't it C? But what we have seen as we've walked through Acts from chapter 1 now all the way to Acts chapter 21 is this. Is that we are never in control of the outcomes. That the things that play out are not within our power when we are walking in faithful obedience to God. That even as we walk in faithful obedience to God, and I believe Paul was being faithful and obedient in each step still led to this outcome right now where a group of people would be shouting as he's carried away at the fortress away with him away with him get him out of our city kill him you think Paul ever wondered in that moment like Maybe I should have listened to my friends at the beginning of Acts chapter 21 and not come. 
You ever think, Paul goes, wait a minute, this is not the outcome of going forward with James' plan. That was supposed to show them the gospel. That was supposed to show them and demonstrate to them that I'm for them, that I'm with them, that I want them to know Jesus above all else. There's people here shouting. How about in your, your life? You ever been in those moments? Like you're like, Lord, I, I, I thought I heard you clearly. I, I thought I heard you, that I was supposed to take this job. And now I'm loading up all my stuff from my desk and putting it in a brown box and walking away. Lord, I, I thought you said move here. But I thought you said do this. Lord, I... I Lord, you said, and we did. Raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. But Lord, the outcome right now that I see with my my physical eyes is that they have departed from you. Lord, you, you called me to step out in faith. Back to Hope Women's Center. Lord, last year was 2020 all the struggle, all the issues. Lord, we're a clinic that's literally speaking on behalf of the voices. Literally, we're, we're going into some of the darkest places and spaces with these women and walking with them and showing them Christ. And Lord, the ceiling's down and I'm standing in two foot of water at a total loss in our building. Not the outcome. Not the outcome I expected. Not the way, God, I thought you'd work in this situation. But what is God beckoning us to? What is God, who actually is in charge of the outcome, who actually is in control of your life and my life, what is he beckoning us to? He's beckoning us to himself. He's not beckoning us to a place where you can figure it out, where you can manipulate it, where you can manufacture an outcome. Listen, we go there on our own. That's the tension. But what God is doing in each and every one of these moments, in the moments I didn't even describe, is he's going, draw near. Draw near to me. Draw near to me. The one who is producing, the one who is moving, the one who is saving, the one who is going before you, draw near to me. And in spite of the outcome on the surface right now, in spite of what your eyes can see, God is going, listen, I'm working it out. I'm moving for your good, whether you believe it or not, for your good. And he's going, my glory. So the devastation at Hope Women's Center, the the things that are devastating are causing you anxiousness and anxiety and fear in your life right now, believer. God is calling you to himself so that he can speak calm and peace over you to go, listen, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're not responsible for the days that lie ahead. I am, and I've got them. I'm under control. I'm in control, and I have never failed you, and I won't start now. I'm going with you. You can be confident of that. But when do I lose my confidence in that? When I drift away from the Lord. And I begin to try to manufacture outcomes and manipulate situations and take the power and the strength into my own hands rather than understanding what God has called me to. What he's called you to is a life of faithful obedience with what's before you today and then tomorrow and the next day. 
to be faithful with what he has placed in your hand and leaving the outcome to him. And I was thinking about this idea of, of outcomes and I know that's an abrupt ending for verse 36, but I think that's what the Lord wants. He wants this abrupt end to go, wait a minute. Surely, Paul, surely they go, we've got a mistake. This is a guy that did the vow. This is a guy that did all the purification. This is the guy who paid for the offering and the tradition. It's not what happens. And then I began to think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? The outcome of God, very God, putting on flesh to come dwell among us. The only sinless person to ever live. What was the earthly outcome of his life? What was he saying, hey, believer, hey, disciples around the table? Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember my broken body in shed blood. So hold on. The earthly outcome of our Savior's perfect life was that he was pinned to a tree like a criminal. You see, I think what was echoing in Paul's ear as he was being literally carried away by the soldiers with the crowd shouting away with him was the same thing, the memory of what was being shouted at his Savior in the same city in Jerusalem as they carried him away saying what? Crucify him. Crucify him. see, but that outcome, the outcome of his broken body and shed blood, the long view of that is this, is that there was no other way of salvation except this way, except that life leading to this outcome that would give way to his victorious resurrection over death, hell, and the grave, defeating your sin and my sin. You see, God has a far greater view of time, of situations than you and I will ever have, thankfully. And so this morning, I pray it's with that encouragement, the encouragement of Acts 29, that we take these things together. So I'd invite you to stand with me as we partake of Holy Communion. So at the Parks Church, this is the only thing we do that is closed. And what I mean by closed is that communion taking communion elements of the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you have not done that or you're still pursuing uh, what it means to to follow Jesus in terms of salvation, uh, we'd ask that you just abstain from taking these elements uh, with us. It doesn't mean you need to be a member of our, our church. It just means you need to be a believer in Christ. Or if you're wrestling with that, whether you are or not, our hope would be that you'd put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. That you'd forsake your self-saving mission and you would trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sin and give you what we all need and that's a new heart. And so if that's you, you, you could confess that this morning and take communion for the first time. But for the rest of us as believers, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, the Bible tells us that he, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. 
And he told his disciples that as you take this, do it in remembrance of his broken body, his body that was broken for us. So let's take the broken bread together. same manner he took the cup and he said that this cup represents the new covenant this is Jesus's blood that washes over us that forgives us of our sin that there's no way we could have a relationship with God the Father apart from a perfect spotless sacrifice and Jesus goes that's me and so we remember his shed blood our salvation as we take the cup let's take the cup together faith family, what is the only fitting response after taking Holy Communion? We haven't done, worship, right? Worship. So let's worship our God in prayer right now. Father, God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, that he would be the substitute for us, that he would die in my place, the death I deserved. Lord, even as we have bread in our teeth and juice in our mouth still, Lord, may we praise you with the breath he has given us breath that you have breathed into us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, go before us this week. God, those of us who are, God, just riddled with anxiety and anxiousness and fear of the unknown, God, that you have gone before us and you're going with us, that we can be faithful as we walk in obedience, that you will care for us, that you will love us. And Lord, that we can trust the outcome to you, that you're working all things together for good for those who love you. And so, Lord, I pray that we might walk out of here with a hopeful confidence that we're your sons and daughters. God, I thank you for this faith family. And I pray that you continue to move in her this week for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.